knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Guys, welcome to the Elk Shea Podcast with your host, Dan Staten. How y'all doing? Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. I love this time of year, man. It's a time for reset. It's a time for reflection. I want you to look back at what you did well and what you can improve and then just readjust your game plan. Your game plan needs to be a countdown to September if you're an elk hunter as passionate as I am. And so you have nine months left on the calendar to chip away at the big goal. And then you're going to break that big goal down into several small little key waypoints that you're going to make sure that you hit along your journey. The big goal becomes the small goal. The small goal can be a monthly goal. That monthly goal can be broken down into weekly goals that lead to the small goal, that lead to the big goal. And then the daily goals lead to the weekly goal. What can you do today to make yourself a better version? Is it break a sweat every day? I hope so. Is it shoot an arrow or perform some research on how to get tag allocation to work best for you? Once you get your tags, how can you do the e-scouting? How can you do the research? How can you become more of a student of not only the biology and the behavior of the animals that you're going to chase, but how can you make the most important piece of gear you own working at its best? You should definitely check out Elk Shape Training. We're launching a brand new track. We have the Hustle Track which is minimal equipment. And then we also have the limitless trackage, which is what I follow because I have a full scale gym. And uh, if you have access to a normal gym, that's what I would recommend. All these things matter, put them in writing, get them somewhere that you see daily, advertise your goals to trustworthy peers, make sure your spouse is at least on board with what you're trying to accomplish. Make sure that you are setting up a schedule where you are dedicating yourself to family time. You have to carve that out. What is their love languages? How do you fill up their love accounts so that it's bolstering, it is swollen come September that you can withdraw and that you are ensuring that quality time, words of affirmation, whatever their love language is, that you are doing that so that everything is dialed at home you will never be as good a hunter as you could be if your home life sucks finances what does your budget look like are you saving more than you're spending do you have an emergency fund what's your debt situation can you snowball it to some degree what's bleeding you what gives you the biggest return on your investment and how can you pour gasoline on that relationships which ones are toxic which ones need to go away which ones are toxic but you're called by the good lord to love them anyways 
you know, all that stuff can be addressed this time of year. So take advantage of a new year. It doesn't mean a new you, but it means that you're definitely making adjustments to become and pursue the best version of yourself. I know I certainly will. Today, we're bringing on a regular listener. His name is Josiah. He emailed me back in October with a list of questions, and it took several months for us to get our schedules lined out. We finally got him on here today. He's awesome because he's still over 300 pounds, but he's lost 50 pounds, and he's continuing on his journey, and he's willing to come on here and ask not only some fitness questions, but some really specific elk hunting questions, stuff that I don't think of, but they are relevant. We're going to dive into them today and want to bring you along. And lastly, if you got a gift like I did, where it's like maybe a pair of socks or like a robe or a tie or a belt, and you're not super stoked on it, go ahead and do some shopping for yourself. Head over to the Vortex website. You can use the discount code ELKSHAPE for 20% off your apparel order at vortexoptics.com or if you're like shopping for glass, maybe you need to upgrade your rangefinder, binoculars, spotter. I really like the mini razor, 56 millimeter, fits in your pack, weighs nothing. Head over to eurooptic.com and you can use the code ELK10 at checkout. It'll save you 10%. All right, guys, without further ado, we have Josiah on the podcast today. Happy New Year. Here we go. Guys, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. This is Dan, the fitness man. We are sitting down with Josiah. Actually, been talking to him for the last 90 minutes without hitting record. Not on purpose, but um, we're going to dive in really quick here and cover 90 minutes worth of material in a short amount of time. Josiah, let's go ahead and just have you maybe introduce yourself and kind of recap our conversation, and then we'll kind of dive in a few particulars. So we talked about, oh, we, we had a great conversation last hour. I am, this was my second year uh, elk hunting. First year, last year was with a rifle, uh, no success. This year with a bow um, to be in more of the rut. Uh, also without success, but uh, meeting my goal of success for this season of actually like seeing and being into elk. We, so the, I think the biggest portion that we talked about uh was my fitness levels uh which at right now is um not where i would like it to be uh and um just to put it on record um uh, uh currently my height is 59 my weight is 315 um my goal is to uh not go into elk season at that weight um you know i think my goal as we talked about this over the last hour was to aim to lose two pounds a week, uh, over, you know, through, through exercise and, but predominantly through nutrition. Um, and, and, um, I have been counting macros for a year now, um, had gotten down. So I'm at the 315 from 355 or so. Nice job, uh, buddy. Nice job. Since, since, uh, summer of, of 2023 or so. But I still have a long ways to go. On top of that, I'm, I am a Montana resident, and so uh, I do have two two young kids. I'm a four year old and a one and a half year old, um, and a, sp- uh, a wife who is um, understanding, but did not uh, sign up. Uh, she did not marry a hunter. Uh, I'm a late onset hunter, and so I have to be very gracious about balancing that. Uh, and one of the things I love about the elk shape brand is is that we utilize hunting to make us better men. And part of that is being attuned to what our spouse needs as well. Um, and recognizing that I might not be at a place, she might not be at a place just yet where I can be out in the woods 30 days in September, you know, so I got to 
balance that and, you know, maybe I won't say work up to it, but, you know, <laughs> make sure that she is supported, whatever that means. And if that means a little bit less elk hunting for me, like these years, um, it's in favor of that for later and, and working towards that. Um, but as part of that, trying to get out bear hunting in some of those places, the elk are also get some scouting during that time, get out, you know, ideally, you know, I, I think I remember Dirk talking about doing family camping trips and getting out early and setting out trail cameras and stuff like that. That's probably something I will look to do uh, in those areas. I look to elk hunt next year. Um, I've leveraged e-scouting a lot, uh, you know, again, young family. So I can't always get boots on the ground, leverage e-scouting a lot. I come from a uh, technical background. So uh, being on computers is makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm leveraging that as well to to get you know, um, uh, eye in the sky, you know, fingers on the ground instead of boots. I think those were the things that we covered in maybe five minutes here. So, awesome, dude, great job. Yeah, I'm gonna apologize for not hitting record. That happens once a year, and uh, hopefully that's the last time. But uh, it was actually cool to because I'm gonna use our conversation the last 90 minutes to quiz you on the questions you asked me and I answered to see what you retain. Um, but I'll just give you guys a recap as far as the dude's lost 40 something pounds. Uh, yeah, he's at he's over three bills. Um, and I did give a, a warning um, um, on our last conversation that I am pretty like I've done this for so long, 20 years, lots of consultations and training that I come across a little like ah harsh or like intense and it it's just we just don't have time for any fluff when you're doing this everything's crunch time and i kind of painted a picture for him of like hey nine months man that's 36 weeks that's 72 pounds of fat that you could shrink and probably keep off and not have a yo-yo issue like sustainability and so he's going to check in with me once a month for the next nine months and just give me the facts what's he doing well and what's the win columns what's the loss columns what adjustments he's going to make and i want him to lose about eight pounds of fat a month and i want him to to basically maintain his lean body mass. He's going to do that largely through nutrition, like 80%. He's tracking his calories. He's restricted. He's doing his macronutrients. And uh, his wife does most of the grocery shopping, so he's going to be in good communication and make sure that she's not sabotaging intentionally or unintentionally and that he's not justifying eating the food that is for the kids. You know, he's not going to eat his emotions. He's going to work out his emotions, and he's got a bigger why. Uh, he's also leveraging elk hunting to get in better shape for his family as the leader of the household. And uh, he's he's just my kind of people. That's kind of the recap of our big, long, lengthy. He is taking a multivitamin from Wilderness Athlete. He's doing the fish oil. He's got a B12 complex. Uh, he's got vitamin D. Uh, he's getting his labs done once a year. So, I mean, he's got a pulse on everything. He's doing it right. And so those are his best practices. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about um, you being new to archery and kind of self-taught, but you are self-filming yourself quite a bit and running through John Dudley's school of knock and just being a student and you feel like you're pretty proficient at where you're at, but you're still continuing to tinker and refine your craft, which is the name of the game. Then we talked about all these questions that you emailed me back in October and uh, that was cool. And so I'm going to flip this back on you. I answered these questions already offline. And so let's see how you retained and uh, we'll go from there. So the first question, Josiah, that you asked me that you're going to answer now is how are cow elk so alert? It seems even when the wind, right, the only thing I see is their butts leaving. So what's the answer to that? So what we talked about was that, yes, they are alert. They're herd animals. Um, they position themselves in the most optimal way and they are just annoying at their core 
Um, that said, the type of terrain that I hunt, the type of um, uh, which for me is tends uh, or this last year has been Southwest Montana um, is not so thick that I can't be you know, um, slow and and kind of stalking through the woods when I know that there are elk around when there's lots of sign. Um, really leveraging binos um, to you know take a step, be quiet. And look around and and be watching watching for them, be trying to sneak up 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 on them on their beds and or watching them patterning them from maybe a little bit further away, um, and then leveraging those patterns to then ambush or you know kind of set myself up for success in knowing by knowing where they are rather than knowing uh, or rather than like stumbling across them. And the only thing I would add to that is we talked about if you're not sure if elk are in a patch timber, and that specific terrain that you're hunting is to sound check it with a location bugle or cow calls. Um, and that's not a guarantee that they will answer back, but you may have to still go in. Um, we talked about not coming in the lower third, but coming up high in the upper third and glassing down Elmer Fudd still hunting, um, just to try to decrease the chances of you running into cows who are super they're, they're just on level 10 alert. Um, especially lead cows. All right. The next question that you're going to answer uh, how far do you need to be for the wind to not matter? And what's the good distance, Josiah? Yeah. Um, so good distance was uh, is around 300 yards. Um, uh, they can definitely smell you. They might pick you off from further than that. But the at 300 yards, the general, right, like 80, 90% of the time, they probably won't care as much. And you can either skirt around them or um, – figure that you likely won't bump them in, in, you know, at that distance. We've also talked about wind nuance as far as like the best times is to strike is when the iron is hot. The iron is hot first 30 minutes of daylight, the last 30 minutes of daylight when the thermals are kicking the prevailing winds, but the sun is low. You are going to have your best odds as far as making moves that are fairly safe bets. And so that's going to be huge for you is to be aggressive in those timestamps and then also to basically analyze the data that you have midday. Is there white puffy clouds? Is there thermals competing with prevailing and vice versa? Maybe I should back out because the wind is not as predictable and I can, they all can, you know, we can hold off or wait in the wings. So just know when to be passive, know when to be aggressive and make moves based on high percentages. All right. Josiah, you asked, do you use anything to protect your cams or strings? Um, short answer, yes, you can, mostly when hiking. Um, but once you're, you know, kind of in elk and, and scouting and stuff like that, or not scouting, once you're in elk and, and kind of stalking, you know, have the, the that off and, and you know, your strings are going to get beat up. Um, change out your strings often. And I think that was about it, like long and short of it is yes i use the string defender from matthews but a lot of times i don't and yes my strings get beat up i usually switch them out at the end of every year uh like and i told you right now i'm at a position where i probably need to switch them out but i don't want to because my bow is so tuned right now i'm shooting so good but it, it is part of the process josiah do you ever sneak through the elk woods if not how are you acting like an elk without calling i think the answer to this was probably uh, like the one I appreciated the most because, you know, you talk a lot about not sneaking through the elk woods. Um, and so I took that very much to heart and tried to not, even though I think for some reason that's like our natural instinct or something like that. Like we go to that sneaking. 
that said uh because i'm in this like somewhat open timber um there is times where you know I, I think in our conversation it was determined there are times where sneaking is important and sneaking is really valuable tactic so knowing i think a key part for me to going forward is knowing when that when that is um uh but really it comes back to that kind of almost that first question of knowing also when when i'm in elk when i'm around elk when there's elk sign if i've seen you know elk go into a, a patch of timber then following them in and, and really taking it slow uh you know step and and scan with binos um you know really hunting elk almost like mule deer in those moments um but then the opposite of those times when i'm you know, rushing after elk, trying to get in front of them, trying to get to an ambush spot, not worrying in those moments, not sneaking through the elk woods in those moments, getting to where I need to get to. And probably same goes for hiking, you know, in general to, to get to a specific uh, point, get to the top of a ridge. Oh, that was another thing I think um, that was really key is I think I did a lot of blasting up, like moving up ridges uh, or moving up, up mountains um, and instead getting up to those high points early and coming down and glassing down, you know, stocking down, if you will, um, being maybe something I didn't do enough of this, this last uh, season. Yeah. Get that higher ground for sure. Uh, know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to run. So when you're talking about sneaking in on elk, it's really good to sneak in when you're under a hundred yards and they're bugling on their own. Don't step on a stick. Uh, unless you're trying to sound like an elk and you want to call them into your position, then you're raking, you're breaking sticks, you're making, but you have to always understand the hang up spot. There's a spot where the elk will always look to get visual confirmation before they move to the old factory to get smell verification. And so if they're going to basically, if you're getting verified by an elk, they're coming to see if they need to put a blue check mark next to your name. If they're coming to verify you, that's when you need to sneak into a position to where they don't know you are when they go to look to see where you're at. That's all vocalizing. And then when it comes to just sneaking in on elk in their bedroom, it's literally socks and shoes, like shoes off, socks on. If you can see them before they see you. Um, and sometimes it's, you can see them, but there's no possible way to get into archery range and you're stuck at a hundred yards. Well, check your wind and hang tight. Good stuff happens when you're close to elk. Good stuff happens when you're close to elk. That's your take home message, bro. And so Yes, there's times to sneak, but more times than not, you're just moving country, sound checking, glassing, staring. You can be loud. Be um, So just be a chameleon. I think the next question you asked was, and this wasn't like my favorite answer, but I do think there's some takeaways here is, do you worry about your pack noise, fabric swishing, plastic clips, squeaking? Will that cause the elk to hear you? What was my answer? Your answer was... Uh... At its core, yes, uh, particularly when you know you might be in places where you're going to be sneaking. Obviously, if you're calling them in, um, you don't have to worry about that stuff maybe as much. Um, but all of those things do what you can to reduce noise. Sometimes that might be cleaning out your pack, you know, spraying out dust. Um, sometimes that might be rubbing a little oil or grease or, you know, adding some tape or uh Whatever you need to do, um, I think this is a great reason why we all need to get out with our gear well before elk season, right? You know, um, yeah. you know, get out, hike around with it, hear how it's working. I did that. What I didn't do is necessarily do anything about some of those squeaks, some of those swishes, uh, some of those, you know, things. So um, sometimes that might be, you know, you talked about changing out the type of paint you were wearing, um, switching to a lighter paint with 
more with base layer. Uh, but experiment, do what you need to do to um, reduce as much noise if you know you're going to be in a situation where you are stocking in um, on elk. Yeah. The example I used was those born primitive frontier lights. Those are quieter than the heavies by a lot. And so I would risk being cold. I would wear a base layer in the light pant because it was actually quieter. And I felt like it made a difference when I was in the red zone with elk. So mitigate noises and test your gear. Well said. Uh, tell us the best practices for storing food in grizzly bear areas. Yeah. So I'm in Montana pretty much, uh, you know, I, I think there was a this point where it was just well in these certain areas there were grizzlies, and it I, it feels like everywhere I turn now it's like well if you're in Montana you're in grizzly country, um and it seems like more and more of the west uh, western especially northern western states are are becoming that way, um so hanging hanging um hanging your food anything that would have scent um hanging those um hanging them downwind of where you you know, where you are uh, camping that way, uh, you know, bear doesn't have to come through you to get to, uh, to get to your other food, um, the other food you might provide them. Um, and then, you know, carry the, uh, you know, some sort of satellite communicator, be able to communicate back to, to loved ones. Uh, again, I have a spouse, a young family, so, um, it's really important for them to know that I am able to communicate and take care of myself out there, especially solo hunting, um, you know, carry, uh, gun spray, um, bear spray, uh, the things that, that you feel like you need to be confident in, um, defending your life and watch out for sows and cubs. Yeah. The other things we mentioned in our conversation was, um, Kefira makes a camp bag that a lot of, I keep my whole, my backcountry kit in. And then once I dump that kit out and get like my sleeping bags, you know, my pad, my tent set up is I'll put the food, the toothpaste, anything that yields a scent, paracord it up 15 feet off the ground. Like, like we said, downwind of where we're camping. And then I think I said, I have a 44 revolver, 44 mag. I don't bring that because it's just six rounds. Instead, I go bounce back between a SIG P320, 10 mm. 10 mm and a Glock 20 10 mm. And I actually like both those. And I actually have a guy coming out here into Washington to teach me, give me one-on-one -on -one lessons on handgun stuff. And the, both those, um, hold those magazines hold 15 rounds. So I'm more of a, that route, like a 10 mm with 15 rounds than a revolver, but you do you. And I have practiced with bear spray multiple times, like, so I know how it works. It's effective range, <clears throat> things like that. So those are things you can control. Uh, moving on, you asked a question about does scent in an area affect behavior? And it took us a second to kind of get to a, the, the real question. So go ahead and just jump to the chase and fill everybody in what we just we covered there. Yeah. So my, what I wanted to know was whether or not, you know, if I was following behind elk, walk through where they walk through, um, would that bother them? You know, would they, would they bounce essentially? Would they leave town because they smelt that a human walked through? And your answer was no. Um, you wouldn't necessarily be afraid to follow them through a saddle or to, and you, and you would expect that they would, you know, come back through that saddle later in the day or, or tomorrow. You, you, they, they, um, just because your scent was in the area, it wouldn't necessarily uh, spook them. 
uh, or change their patterns. That said, uh, especially um, you said because elk are so migratory, the more mi migration that they tend to do, the more you know, the larger their uh, the space that they're covering, the more likely it is that they will be more tolerant of those smells. That said, if that's very different than if they smell you walking in on their bedroom, uh, you know, and and see you and spook because of you being right there with them so kind of two different concepts of like why they might spook because of scent but you know I, I was really looking at that former of like as i'm walking around should i be worried that you know and should i consider this area you know, burned essentially for for a couple of days because i have now just walked through it and the short answer was no yeah unless they actually smelled you in real life or saw you and bumped um, we gave examples as far as like a North Idaho example where I had called a bull in really close. I could watch this bull like my dad was set up a shooter and I remember him putting his hand on a downfall log to get set up. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And then I started calling, and the bull came in on a rope and he got right to that downfall and put his nose right where my dad had put his hand and that bull 180'd out. And I was like, well, damn, does that mean every time I put my hand on anything in the woods, the elk's going to smell it and, and bounce out? And I would just say it's just situational. But like you said, the more open country, the elk cover bigger, more vast real estate, they're going to encounter a grizzly scent and a wolf scent and a cougar scent and Josiah and Dan scent. And so they might be more tolerant, but in those tighter, you know, confined spaces like thicker timber country and in your in their bedroom, their, their tolerance is not going to be very accepting. So great answer. Um, barbed wire on national forest land. Is that for grazing? Answer your own question, brother. Uh, short answer is yes. This is something that I wish uh, I was just more talked about maybe because as a new hunter you come across a fence and uh you're like is this private is this not you know you're basically trusting on x to to lead you or you know, whatever your map tool is of choice but uh um yes the uh, most of these uh, a lot of the western states um utilize grazing um these ranchers set up barbed wires for for cows um sheep even sometimes um it's really important to utilize um, you know, utilize e-scouting practices. We talked about uh Tree Line Academy, Mark Lovesay's course. Um that uh you know, he talks about how to identify um you the fence lines uh as well as identify um you know grazing areas and who that lane might even be least to really important if you're coming out west to know whether or not cows or sheep or something like that are going to be in uh in those areas and ideally know um 
don't remember if he talks about this, but ideally know when they're, when they'll be taken out uh, because that could completely ruin your hand having, um, you know, having ranchers in, in your hunting spot, running cows, you know, to try or to sheep. Get them loaded up or sheep. Yeah. Loaded up onto trucks. Um, I don't think I missed anything there. Anything? No, you know that I would say that the Livestays, you know, Treeline Academy has a whole section on how to identify, you know, what, what are the current grazing situations? Um, you can dig in and, and figure out who's got the leases and you can figure out even when, usually when are they coming to get their cattle or, or what is the best, like, what is the pattern? When do they, do they, most of the cattle will come down on the first snow and then they'll come in. Um, a lot of times ranchers will put up big salt licks down low in the valleys. And when they do that, that's a good indication that that's going to bring most of the cows down. They're getting ready to bottle them up and move them to the next piece or whatever. Um, cattle can kind of screw you over on some stocks and other times they can't. Um, oh, and we have a discount code with Livesey's e-scouting, which I think if you live in the East Coast or the Midwest, you have to. You're not going to get boots on the ground. You have to do the e-scouting. That code is elk shape. It takes 20% off. Nothing but love from Mark Livesey. Last one, and then we'll kind of talk about what we did at the end, is um, in between bugling bulls, three were on private. Some were on public. So they're all talking back and forth. Do you try to call the three to public? Do you go quiet after the ones on public? Do you cow call? What did we say to do, brother? Be... Short answer was don't try and call, don't really try and call bulls off public, uh, off private land. It might be possible if you really set up, utilize a decoy in, in more open country, set it up to where they might see that at the fence line, likely without some sort of visual confirmation, uh, a private, uh, 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 an animal on private land is there for a reason. They've been pushed there and they aren't going to just hop over that fence because, uh, you know, a hot cow, you know, sound or a, a really aggressive bull is, is, is calling on the other side, you know, likely they're going to want some sort of visual confirmation. I think we also talked about as part of this, which to me was one of the bigger takeaways is if, if, you know, if bulls are doing their thing, um, if frankly, if elk are doing their thing, even cows and, and, elk, uh, and bulls, um, let them do that and don't try and, and interject, uh, instead, um, try and use that as, you know, time to like stock and get in close observe what how they're acting um kind of just behavior uh in the case where there was likely one on on, on public i think the consensus was like trying to go after that bull um the the one bull that was was on public responding to them would have been the right right move rather than uh sticking to what my eyes said of like i see elk but i hear one back there i see in here but i hear one uh, better to go after the one that is further off uh, private rather than, um, yeah, rather than trying to call those those ones off off private and play in that game. Well said. Yeah, man, I think you know that uh, elk are way more visual than we give them credit. They like they verify visually then usually with the wind and on all. Yeah. Someone listening is going to be like, well, I called the bull off on private onto public and shot him. Well, good for you. We're stoked. I don't know if that'll work every time. I wish it would, but yeah. chances are they've, they're they there for a reason. And also, it's kind of sketchy shooting one right on the border. Like, where's it going to die? Just, Just be, be careful. careful. Know where you stand. Use yeah. your onyx. Uh, that was good. I think with, one other thing you mentioned on yeah. that was that uh, likely they're using, likely they won't stay on, on private that whole time. So, finding out that pattern of you know where they're coming off uh you know if they're if their sanctuary if their beds are 
on public, like utilizing that potentially if they're just feeding on that, on that. Yeah, you're going to see on both sides of a fence where they have landed because they do, they lift up and then they spring off their back leg and they land on the other side of the fence. That's going to, enough elk do that. You're going to be able to tell there's going to be some hair, elk hair on a barbed wire. You're going to be able to tell where they are crossing this grazing fence or even private land property line fence. And you could potentially figure out a way to set up in position in the evenings or mornings or when they're coming through. Again, having all the tactics, Josiah, like being a chameleon, knowing all the vocalizations, knowing what sounds they're making, what they mean, knowing how to make those sounds and how to time those sounds, knowing when to be quiet, knowing when to be still, knowing when to be a whitetail elk hunter, knowing when to be a super aggressive. Like it's all nuance, but you are getting the gist of the thing. And and uh, my favorite takeaway for that whole conversation was understanding that like if you really bump elk hardcore, like just move on to the next spot. And by move on, I mean like go glass three other basins in the evening to locate elk to hunt the next day or drink some coffee at 10 o'clock at night, grab a bugle tube and your trekking poles and go cover ridges and call at night to locate elk to hunt the next day. Um, but if they haven't really smelled you or other hunters haven't bumped them out of the area and you've been delicate, stay on those elk. Meaning like if you've watched them, you've bedded them, but you didn't like the wind and you were in the fringes and you watched them all day come back through a saddle, by all means, hunt them the next day and possibly set up on that saddle in a position where you can get a shot and they won't smell you. So all in all, we basically just summarized 90 minute conversation. And that was cool. Actually, you were listening because you retained those answers really well. Great job. Let's finish with what we did on the other pod. You had mentioned offline that you would listen to the most recent podcast that I did with Josh Jones and Jeff Dodds. And we talked about Hunters United and is it even possible? And I told you like that is my least comfortable thing to talk about because I know I'm signing up for a target on my back which is not what I want. I just wanted to discuss, I guess, briefly, you listened to the podcast. Um, what did you think? Having watched all of your videos, having you know listened to all your podcasts, I, I felt like I really understood where you're coming from. And, you know, I'll fully admit that, you know, maybe I've, you know, bought into to what you're selling kind of hook, line and seeker, which is hard work. <laughs> um, and because of that, like what, you talked about really resonate with me. Um, the concept of us being united, not divided, the concept of us um, wanting hunting around for not only our kids, but for our kids, kids um, to be able to hunt with, you know, with our grandkids um, is, is like what we should be striving for. And if we continue to stay divided, we will get, um, you know, we will die by a million cuts, I think. And we're, we're constantly watching it. I mean, it feels like, uh, every, you know, every month there's more things, more, more little cuts that are being attempted, right. That we're having to fend off. Um, and so I really appreciate the, that podcast and, in in you know, your approach, I felt like you really conveyed, uh, what you were trying to say. Uh, we went through some of the comments and, um, uh maybe you know it i don't know um I, there's definitely people who don't who don't see see eye to eye you know i don't know if you wanted to read a few of those or still or um you know kind of i can do that yeah i i do think it's important to note that like i didn't want to do that podcast like i didn't wake up i said it on the pod like i didn't jump out of bed and be like i want to talk about this but like it is on my heart 
then it's going to take everybody willing to kind of lose the ego uh, and concede on some things uh, and try to see things from other people's viewpoints or lenses. And then also ultimately try to like figure out, okay, what are the couple things that we do all agree on? And let's pour gasoline on that. So I think you and I talked about like, we all want public land. We want good access for everybody. We want every state to do a good, is the best job as they can to manage the wildlife. That means having the biologists in the field and studying and deciphering through science what the take should be, the carrying capacity, that kind of thing. We're into that. And then conservation organizations that are transparent with their funds and that do the Lord's work, really like shining a spotlight on them and encouraging people to put their money where their mouth is and encouraging conservation acts, not just talking about it. We, we, I think everyone could agree with that. We also got into a little bit of the weeds, like the situation in Colorado with the wolves. Like I'm very much not a huge fan of wolves. Like, uh, just because I've seen them, what they've done to my best elk hunting grounds in Northern Idaho that I don't hunt anymore. Um, my daughter's four year at age four, saw her first wolf at like 40 yards. I've seen triple digit wolves with my two eyeballs. So I've, I've literally had so many wolf encounters and run-ins while elk hunting that it's just kind of like, I'm not a huge fan of them on the landscape unless they're managed. And I was giving you an example, Josiah, of like how the state I live in Washington is continuing to grow wolves all over the place, but we have no management plan. There's no hunting season. A lot of times if they do get killed, it's by other wolves, which a lot of people don't understand that part, but wolves are, will kill other wolves and ranchers or fishing game, because you have ranching conflict um, and there's just constant litigation going back and forth. So people want them on the landscape and you look at Colorado, Josiah, they probably already had a few in the state for sure. It's documented, but they let out five and then five more and they let them out in counties where the people of the county voted. No, but it doesn't matter because the metropolitan, the Denver's, the boulders make the decisions and they think it's a great idea. Of course they do. Those wolves aren't getting dropped off downtown Denver. So you have, some hunters that actually think wolf, it's a good move. And I think you have some hunters that think it's a bad move. And so, again, we're just not all going to agree on certain instances. We're just going to have to figure out what the hell we do agree on, if anything, and pour gas on that. That's what we talked about. But um, I was going to read a couple comments on the YouTube. I'm not going to respond to comments on that video. Like, I create content. I don't have a chance to consume a lot of it. But I'll just read off the top here. So this first guy was like, you, I want to talk to you, laugh out loud. I think you maybe got the right idea, but you're going across it the wrong way-ish. And this is somebody that is a friend of Matt's. So this is a person saying they're friends with Matt Ranella, brother of Steve Ranella. I know he probably does not like being, but I have to make sure that there's a distinguishable difference between the two because there is. Um, Matt is uh, the guy we were going to talk about on that last pod. And this person's friends with him. Then they say, um, I don't disagree on his delivery. I think you've made key points, but you've missed key points. I think Rogan needs to stay in his lane and just not talk about it when he doesn't even know what hunting is. So when he or she says uh, they don't disagree with me, I just said that Matt's delivery has been harsh at times. I I haven't seen every piece of content he's produced. I have seen him call Cam Haynes uh, Joe Rogan's little bitch boy or something. And like that's that's not going to help you get your message across. It's, you know, even if you're angry, uh, I don't know if there's justification for name calling, if we're all going to like come together, but 
hey, he's a human being. He makes mistakes. And I'm sure he doesn't, he's not proud of that. I have several things that I've said that I'm not proud of. And then he says on this comment that I made some key points, but I missed some key points. And I totally probably did. I'm not well versed in in what the other person, people are thinking. I only know bits and pieces of what I've seen. And I tried my best to like be not emotional and just kind of like factual and whatever. And then the last comment is the one I, I, I don't know if I agree with. It's like Joe Rogan needs to stay in his lane and he doesn't even know what hunting is. So I think hunting for me, it looks different than you, Josiah, as it would look different for somebody. Uh, I just got back from Texas. Let's say a good old Texan who's got a high fence ranch and they got crazy animals running around that's different hunting culture or the south so my dad's from georgia so like the deep south different hunting culture africa there's some really wealthy people that go over to africa and shoot a bunch of stuff and that's their version of elk hunting everyone's version of hunting is a little bit different but are you buying a license and tag and are you paying that Pittman robinson tax when you pick up your ammo those are things that you are doing that i have to agree with right and so i think I don't know. What's your thoughts on that first comment? That's like the very first comment uh, that I just opened up. Like you said, I, I don't think anyone would necessarily say that they have anyone else's full argument like and can nail it down point by point. Like that's that's pretty hard to do. But you you know, some of the comments specifically directed toward you from from Matt were um, you know, that at least I've I've seen and heard were uh around like how many you know killing for for the gram right you know and in how many elk you kill a year we talked about the fact that you know it is very possible for a family of four to consume uh, you know three uh three elk worth of of meat a year and that the that's before even you know wanting to share it with family and friends like that's you know that's the community we come from um so that's the first thing the other thing is yeah i fully agree that like okay maybe if, if that comment had said joe rogan doesn't know you know, public land, Western hunting, like, sure. Uh, I, I could get behind that. Um, yeah. And I think, I think you basically said that on the, on the podcast, like to, it, to, to say that he doesn't know hunting, like, especially when like it or not, like if we are, if we all want to be here, if we want hunting to be here as a culture, that isn't just like the weird few people out there. Uh, we need people like we need people like him. He he's a huge voice, and for him to be normalizing it and communicating to the masses why, like what he finds value in it. And uh, you know, I've I don't listen to Rogan all that much. Um, he's a little too mainstream for me. But uh, the clips I've seen of why he likes to hunt and like what what drew him to, or what keeps him hunting, I should say, what drew him to, you know further into hunting. It are a lot of the same things are very similarly aligned to what drew me to hunting and hearing your stories in the past drew you to hunting. Like, can't we all align on that? You know, can't we all hmm. get behind that? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're all going to agree on what we think of Joe Rogan. I think that's pretty obvious based on these comments, but <clears throat> I, I do think I'm with you. I do think it's, I'd rather have the world's biggest podcaster be pro hunting than anti hunting quite honestly. And I do think he knows hunting. He knows his version of hunting. He doesn't know your version of hunting. And and there's a lot of people's versions of hunting that I don't know. And that's okay. Um, one dude commented here. We see every day, right? That what, what, when these major people like Bill Gates and, you know, um, you know, uh, 
anyone who's controlling Instagram, anyone who's controlling, when they don't agree with us, what, what, like, watch what's happening. And we can be mad about it, but we're still getting constantly censored. So, like, yes, mm. can't we need main, like, as many mainstream voices as we can get? I feel like that's a pretty valid point, honestly. You know, a lot of us could get shadow banned easily and cry about it, but there's nothing we could do getting censored. That's, that's something that I don't think anyone's brought up, but that's a good point. Um, one dude was like, I just touch on this, but three elk at least 350 pounds of meat each. That's over a thousand pounds. If you divide that by 365 days in a year, you're eating three pounds of elk every day. I don't think so. Um, bro, the biggest elk I've ever killed was last year. This is body wise and 296 pounds at the butcher with bone in. That's all the, like, that's not the, and then that's obviously going to be cut down and wrapped and trimmed and like ground up and 200 pounds of meat off the biggest bull. So let's say three bulls is 600 pounds. I mean, yeah, I, we could crush. I gave you an example last year, this, this list, this fall, I got a text from my wife. It's in my text thread of like basically saying it's like September 20th and you haven't killed an elk. I'm down to my last four or five packages of elk burger from last year. Quit messing around. We're serious about our elk meet up in this house. And, um, I hadn't killed an elk yet and I had killed three bulls the year prior and we were literally on our last packages. So yeah, man, like know your facts, but I think the gist of it is like, if I'm consuming what I'm killing and I'm not killing in excess, that's probably seen better, but we'll all never agree. There's going to be some people like you should only be able to shoot an animal a year. And then there's gonna be other people like you should be able to kill as many animals as you want. And there's the middle ground. I mean, we're all not going to agree I get that, but we can at least agree that um, do your own killing and eat what you kill. Okay, well, I can get behind that. Can you? Yeah. Cool. Moving on. Um, there was a – I mentioned crossbows in the podcast, and I'm seeing a few crossbow. Like, did I say something anti-crossbow in that pod? Cool. No, I think you said – I think you were pro-crossbow, and that probably – I'm guessing that, that got – because I thought you said something like we shouldn't be hating on people for uh, – you know, we shouldn't be hating on people who are crossbow hunters versus like you know, compound or, or you know, whatever. And I think there was a, I think in that conversation, there was an, uh, a part, uh, a part of that conversation was on like utilizing technology, right. And you crossbow <laughs> compounds are technology compared to traditional bows, right. Like um, at its core. Yeah. I think out at the same time that, uh, do I want a crossbow hunter out at the same time that I'm like, I don't know, with a compound? No, I don't think so. You know, that extra 50, 50 yards is, is quite an advantage. I, I actually think that they, you know, I, I could see muzzle letters and crossbows are pretty similar time. Um, oh, but yeah. that said, that said, like, I, I, I don't think that this is at the end of the day, it comes back to those paper cuts. Like if we are constantly nitpicking other hunters and constantly fighting with other hunters, like the other side is going to utilize our voices to amplify their stance and continue those paper cuts. And it's like, let's, so let's, let's be united, <laughs> united front to them, you know, and not give them more ammunition for, Oh, you know, well, other hunters say, you know, say the trail camera shouldn't be used or other hunters say that crossbow shouldn't be used. They're unethical. And then, well, you know, Oh, you know, how, how do you make that? How do you make that difference between that and the and the bow? Right. And then, you know, they turn around and say that, oh, well, rifles are too effective at killing. And, you know, it, like it, it seems like the more ammunition we give them, they will constantly throw it back in our faces. Let's, you know, let's not do that. 
We as hunters generally attack other hunters based on what product they use, mapping, um, what kind of hat, if they got a flat bill or a curved hat, uh, crossbow, longbow, stick bow, compound, long range, short range, where they get their hunting information, who they're a fan of, who they're not. And so like we have these subsets and we kind of like pick apart. It's pretty unfortunate. I'm not, for the record, I'm not anti-crossbow. I'm not, I don't think I'm stoked on crossbow seasons, like matching traditional archery seasons, but I think there's like definitely could see that overlap with muzzle loaders for sure, man. But again, um, if it's legal, then it's like probably accepted. And there's certain things that are legal that a lot of us just don't find to be ethical. And I understand that. So there is some nuance in there and I appreciate that. But there was one guy, I, okay, he says, if you are here hoping to get an honest presentation of both sides of the argument, you're at the wrong place. These guys start off by saying they won't even say Matt Ranella's name, but they say that they do agree he has valid points. Then minutes later, they say his name anyway. That's just kind of funny to me and comes off as them being scared or for some strange reason. After the awkward opening, the entire talk is bending the hunt quietly perspective to fit their objective. The entire discussion is dishonest. Go listen to two or three Hunt Quietly podcasts and see for yourself. If you're here because you're just a fanboy of everything this guy says, then convince your hero to have Voldemort. I mean, Matt Rennell on a show. I don't know what Voldemort. Is that like a movie reference? A Harry Potter reference, yeah. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. I don't. I'm not a Harry Potter dude. Okay, so, dude, honestly, yeah. I didn't have Matt there to represent his... But he had mentioned my name a couple times. And then I'd seen him in cam fighting and I was just like, is there any opportunity for all of us to have something to agree on? Can we start there? And, uh, I guess I'll say this, like, I'm sure they're going to reach out and have me want to come on their podcast or whatever. And I certainly would, but it would have to be one in person because I did listen to a podcast that was not Steve's. It was, or it was Steve's and Matt was there and it was a couple years ago and it was around Thanksgiving and I would say it was very uncomfortable. I wouldn't recommend anyone watching it. And there was a lot of arguing and going, like talking over each other. And I don't know if that's just something they do on that podcast or if that's like a family thing. But like, I can't do that, man. Like, I can't sit there and like, I'm not a debater. I didn't do debate. I'm not pre-law. I'm not smart. So if we're going to set Dan up to debate against a dude with a PhD in research, that's a losing battle. But if we're going to sit down man-to-man, face-to-face, and try to find things that we do have in common and things that we can pour gas on, I would be interested in that for sure. Um, otherwise, I, I'm just not your huckleberry. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't have anything to add to that. I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Okay. Um, well, the point is all this. There was a couple of there. There's 300 comments. I can't go through them all. I did. I did see one about I was sitting in the t- chair of Tim Connor, my former producer for my channel, uh, does a podcast with the guy, Josh, and we were at his house. And he's like, how dare you sit in Tim's chair and talk about being united when you're not even friends with Tim. And so I just wanted to say, hey, guys, Tim was in Michigan visiting his family. And that's not his chair. That's actually not Josh's chair. That's Josh's mom's house. That's I don't know if Josh wants me to say that, but that was actually Josh Jones's mother's house. That's her chair. And uh, Tim and I are cool. I just saw him a month ago. We talked whitetail hunting. And then I played pickleball with him this summer. I think people get perspectives that people don't, I don't know. I liked him. Got a lot of respect for him and we are united. I, 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 he, anyways, I 
love talking to our community, especially one like this where a guy's willing to balls out and say, hey, man, I need to lose some weight. I've already lost 40. I've built my own momentum. And um, and I think it's going to help to have those check-ins. Josiah, where can people find you? Because what if there's someone, what if there's a Josiah 2.0 that's ahead of you, like he's already lost 100 and he's got his last 50 and he's got some, you know, hindsight advice for you when you hit your first plateau? Or what if there's a Josiah 0.0 who is at 350 and hasn't lost the 40 pounds to get started and, and is inspired by you? Like, where can people reach out to you to build this community positively? I would say Instagram is probably the the main place. Um, I'm on there as uh, rel- at Relentless Raghorn um, because uh, it was something to aspire to, not to be you know, not to be um, about a trophy and and to you know aim to be relentless. Like I'm not always, but I, I, that's what I, I want to be. And um, I usually set up uh, I usually set up different um, Instagram accounts for kind of like what I'm passionate about. Um, so this one was kind of specifically for that and. It's, generally where I spend most of my time. Um, so, so it's relentless, relentless underscore or all one word, all one word. Okay. Um, I will put a link in the show notes, reach out, man, hit him up. This guy's tech savvy. In fact, at a later date, he's going to help me figure out my life on some of my tech shortcomings. But, um, Hey, Josiah, thanks for your patience. I actually like the way we did this pod. Like it was cool that we talked for over an hour and then we hit record and got, to really see what you absorbed, you're a student of the game, which is what we all should be. Thank you so much for for your support and for coming on and being transparent and putting yourself out there. I really respect that. I, I can say all those things back at you. Like that's, you know, uh, you know, you hear those comments and you hear the fine. If you want to call me a fanboy, that's that's fine. But what what I saw you selling you know, a year ago, just uh, I don't know, 14 months ago or so was I saw you talking about putting in hard work, um, putting faith, family, and fitness above this thing called elk hunting. But yeah. for some reason, that being this driver that can improve those three things, like it resonated with me. And so like that, your transparency, your willingness to talk about tough subjects, like they've um, they've had an impact on, on me um, and, you know, my family have... Um, continue to cause me to look at myself and become better. And like, that's, you know, I think that that's what we all aim to do for each other, right? It's like to grow and to um, be that iron that sharpens each other, like iron sharpening iron. So mm, I feel that separations in the preparation guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Friends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please. If you are into our pods, share it with a friend, share it on an IG story leave a comment review whatever that is but that's your way of saying thank you to us we really appreciate it you do have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts we are selling hard work if that's what you're buying you found the right place separation is in the preparation we'll catch you on the next one